From this reading that we just heard, the Apostle John is telling us that he and the other apostles, what they proclaimed about Jesus Christ, uh, who was from the beginning, who was from eternity, the word of life, is not based on mysticism, it's not based on superstition, it's not based on hearsay. Uh, these things were proclaimed about Jesus, they were founded upon evidence. God does not expect us to believe something just without evidence. Our faith is not a blind faith. Most of the time, many people in the world think about, when they think about faith, they think about blind faith and faith being just a, a leap of faith. But even as the Bible defines faith in Hebrews chapter 1, that it's the evidence of things hope for, the conviction of things not seen. It, it's about evidence. It's about being convicted about something. God doesn't expect us just to believe something for which there's no evidence. Even as he went on there in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about how that God created things from nothing. Nobody was there to see that. But he has given us evidence as the fact that it's been done. The same way with Jesus, the things concerning him and that were proclaimed is not based on just hearsay, but evidence. He says, these things we saw with our eyes, we beheld with our hands, we've handled it. He says, we bear witness. These are the things we proclaim to you. And he says, the reason that we proclaim these things is so that you can have fellowship. And he says, I want you to know what that fellowship is. That fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. I think that's why you're here tonight. At least you're interested in that is being in fellowship with God. To be in fellowship with God is to have eternal hope and to have eternal life, which John in his gospel uh, talks about as something not that's just far off in the future, but something that we have now. That's a study in itself. Sometimes we look at that. You look at John when he talks about eternal life. A lot of times we think about eternal life being something far off in the future, and certainly there's going to be the climactic part of our eternal life there, but Jesus talks about eternal life being something that we begin here and that is not affected by death. Jesus says, believe in me, you'll have eternal life. In fact, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, he told Martha that. He says, if you believe in me, you'll never die. Eternal life is something that begins here in Jesus Christ. It begins with having fellowship with God, the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and is not affected by death. And John says, I'm writing to you so that you might understand that the things that we have proclaimed is so that you can have fellowship. The young people with Chris are, are studying uh, the gospel of John. And in that gospel, John chooses by inspiration seven miracles besides the resurrection itself and the draft of fishes after the resurrection. Seven miracles. 
out of all the things that he saw, and there was many things that John saw, he was there, and this is the same John that's writing these things, things that he saw with his eyes, things that he beheld, things that he handled with his own hands. He was there when Jesus broke those uh, fish and, and those pieces of bread, just a boy's lunch, into enough to feed 5,000 men besides the women and the children and took up baskets of leftovers. He handled it. He saw it. He tells us why he chose the things that he did. When you take the Gospel of John, uh, you, you can just hold it up in just a few pages in your New Testament. Now, men don't write that way. One of the greatest proofs of inspiration is how the Bible is written and the brevity of the Bible. Men just don't write that way. But John, by inspiration, was only allowed to choose seven miracles. He calls them signs. He wants us to know when you come to chapter 20 that that wasn't the whole story, that that's just what he was allowed to write. He says in chapter 20, uh, verse 30 and 31, he says, Many other signs did Jesus perform in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But he says, These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his name. Many other things Jesus did, and they were things that were simply amazing. And John was there to see it. He was there to handle it. He had a front row seat. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He saw the, the water turn to wine at, at Cana. He saw Jairus' son raised. He, miracle after miracle he saw. In fact, he went on in chapter 21 of his gospel to say, he said, I suppose if, if everything that Jesus did was recorded, the whole world could not contain the things that were written. These things were amazing. Eyewitness accounts. And it was done before multitudes of people. It wasn't done in a corner. And they were amazed. I want to talk to you this evening about the amazing Jesus. I don't know why that's done that. We've changed projectors, and I, I don't know if it's that. We'll see how it turns out. But you can read it, maybe. <laughs> the amazing Jesus. And Jesus was amazing. fact is, the words amazed, astonished, marveled, are used no less than 37 times in the Gospels describing people's reaction to Jesus. These are expressions of astonishment. Jesus was amazing. Now we take that and we say, well, sure Jesus was amazing. Well, why do we believe that? That's what I want us to look at. These things were actual recorded events, historical events, and men were amazed at Jesus. They were amazed at his miracles. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. There was brought to Jesus, it says, a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb, and the scriptures say, that he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. Now these people knew some of those who were around them. And if you had known a man who had never spoke, a man who had 
never been able to see, and he was healed, and he was healed immediately. It's not something like these uh, fake healers that you hear about, like Ernest Angley and, and these guys on television. Uh, you know, it's always they're healing someone of a stomach ailment, and you can't tell if they're healed if they're not healed. Um, one time I was uh, watching something of, of Ernest Angley in the past, and and uh, they were having, he's having a sermon on fasting. That's what kind of caught my attention. He was talking about fasting. And then he broke in on his commercial, and he was talking about a, uh, a thing that they were going to have um, in North Carolina, and he was inviting people to come and, of course, send their money and bring their, you know, and they were going to have a great feast. I thought that was interesting. He was talking about fasting. The commercial was talking about feasting. And he said, but don't bring your wheelchairs and your stretchers because we just don't have the room. Jesus didn't say, well, don't bring your, uh, your, your lame and don't, don't bring your, your cripple. We just don't have the room. No, there were multitudes of people who came. The multitudes saw it. Verse 23 says the multitudes saw it. And it says they were amazed. This word means to be thrown into wonderment. To be astonished. You turn over to Mark chapter 2 and verse 11 and we read where Jesus has a paralytic who's brought to him. And Jesus says to him, I say unto you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And in verse 12, he arose immediately and took up his pallet and went out in the sight of all. And it says they were amazed and were glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. You don't see anything like it today either. They were amazed. It means to be set beside yourself. And notice again, immediately. It's not that he said, I heal you, and then he gradually got better. It was immediate. This man had been paralyzed, and now he's a man who's walking and on his way home. In Luke chapter 8, we read where Jesus and his disciples were, were sailing on the sea. And Jesus had fallen asleep, and yet there was a great fierce gale wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped, and they were in danger. You look over at Luke, the 8th chapter, begin reading with me there in about verse 24. They came to him and woke him and saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this who commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. John was in that boat. He said, I've seen this. I've handled it. I've eyewitnessed it. He was fearful, and he was amazed. Peter was there, too. They were amazed. They were glorifying God. Later, it affected their preaching. Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, when, G when the gospel of Jesus was first preached in, on Pentecost, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of the Nazarene, a man attested you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. These were amazing things. 
miracles he caused them. He also caused them signs. John, we said, caused them signs in his gospel. Why, why does he call them a sign? Well, a sign is, is something that points to something else, isn't it? You see a curve sign, you don't just stop and just stare at the curve sign. You know that that's pointing you to what's coming up down the road. Jesus performed these signs. The miracles were not just to bring attention to themselves. And it wasn't just to feed someone or just to heal someone. It was to point to the fact that he was who he said he was, that he was indeed the Son of God. They were signs that pointed to that. Every one of them pointed to the fact that he was the Son of God. He calls them wonders. He was wonderful in his miracles. What's he mean by that? You know, I, every time I hear that, I, I, I remember a story that uh, a gospel preacher, a teacher of mine, when I was in Florida, Brother Melvin Curry, some of you know him, he said he was preaching in Africa one time, and they were preaching in a tent, and it was a large tent, and there was a, a, a brother who was sick and they'd been praying for him and said right in the middle of the service this fellow run in he said brother so and so has died brother so and so has died and a fellow stood up and said wonderful wonderful we use the word wonderful in a different sense it was amazing he was astonished that this fellow had passed away this is why this word's used wonders and miracles and signs people were amazed at Jesus and his power, which proved him to be the Son of God. These things were proof that Jesus was who he said he was, and yet some of the people who were there who saw these things rejected Jesus, but it was not for lack of proof that many rejected Jesus. It was that they were overcome with envy and prejudice and desire for sin, the very same reason that Men reject Jesus today. The reason men reject Jesus today is not because there's lack of proof, lack of evidence. Not because Jesus and the accounts, these eyewitness accounts are not amazing. But it is because they love sin. Jesus was amazing in his teaching. Men were amazed at it. When Jesus taught, no one had ever taught like this. In Matthew, the 7th chapter, verse 28, after Jesus had concluded the Sermon on the Mount, the Scriptures say that the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. Amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he was teaching as one having authority and not as their scribes. The word amazed or astonished here literally means they were shocked. They were struck with amazement. Put out of themselves. This was at Jesus' words. And not just the multitudes in general, even his disciples who heard more messages than anyone. They never ceased to be amazed at the teaching of Jesus. For example, when they heard Jesus' teaching in Matthew the 19th chapter, the Pharisees coming and questioning concerning divorce. You remember uh, the divine truth concerning marriage and divorce had been overlooked by them. The principles had gone all the way back to the beginning. And Jesus said from the beginning it was one man, one woman for life and that God had joined them together and no one had the authority to separate. 
Let no man put asunder, and that whoever divorces his wife except for the unchastity of their maid, the uh, committing of fornication, and married another, that that person commits adultery. It was the disciples at that teaching who were shook and said, if the relationship between a man and his wife like this, Lord, it's better not to marry. They had never considered the value and honor that God placed upon marriage. From the beginning, even before the law of Moses, it was a different way of looking things at, at things. And his teaching shocked men. They were amazed. And the divine teaching of Jesus still continues to amaze people today. When you get up and you preach the gospel of Jesus and its purity and you preach the truth about marriage and divorce and remarriage, people are still shocked. I've been on radio programs, call-in radio programs, and you teach the truth concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage and talk about what Jesus says about it, and people are still shocked. (laughs) And they still have the idea, well, then it would be better never to marry. Jesus explained that not all men can handle that. Some can, some can't. But he's trying to tell us that God holds marriage in high honor. As Hebrew writer in Hebrews 13 tells us that the marriage bed is to be honored. When fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And that's amazing to many people. It was then. In the same chapter, after he said these things, and it says that they were very astonished even at what he says about the rich. It says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The scripture says it was the disciples who were astonished and said, then who can be saved, Lord? Well, to answer the question is not to water down what Jesus said. I've heard people try to do that and say, well, he's really not talking about a real camel or a needle. He's talking about just a small opening. It's hard for a camel to kind of get down and get through. I think he meant what he said. He's talking about an impossibility. It's impossible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, and it's impossible for a rich man to, to go to heaven except by the power of God. He says, God can even save a rich man if the man is willing to give his life to the Lord and, his, and, and use what he has for the Lord. With God, he says, all things are possible. But trusting in ourselves and our riches will never make it. And people at that teaching are shocked even today. He says, It's an amazing thing. You know, even the enemies of Jesus were shocked. The multitudes were amazed. His disciples were amazed. But even his enemies were amazed. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, the Pharisees counseled together to see how they might trap Jesus, asking if it was lawful to give uh, the poll tax to Caesar or not. You remember that? Look over at Matthew, chapter 22, Begin reading with me there in about verse 18. When Jesus perceived their malice, he says, Why are you hypocrites testing me? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a Daenerys. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. He then said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And it says, And hearing this, they marveled and leaving him they went away. 
Nobody ever had this kind of wisdom. These were smart men. These were the learned men of the day. And they tried every way in the world that they could, literally, to trap Jesus, but they could not. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his miracles. Uh, I'll back up to John chapter 11. And Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And there's no mistaking this man had been dead for four days. In fact, even his sister said, when the Lord said, roll away the stone, he said, Lord, but this time he'll be stinking. He said, roll it away. And he, after weeping, says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth, who had been dead, and who's wrapped now in these death clothes. And he says, unloose him and let him go. Our witnesses were there. Men and women from Jerusalem had come to console these sisters in the loss of their brother. There's no denying this miracle. It was a climactic miracle, the seventh miracle that John records in his gospel. And the, this, the enemies of Jesus were amazed at it, and they said, if we go on like this, all men will believe in him. They were amazed. Now you come to John 7, and you remember they had been sent to go get Jesus. To go and to bring him back, to seize him and bring him back. But when they heard the words that Jesus was speaking, verse 45, the officers said, therefore, to the chief priests and the Pharisees, they said to them, why, why didn't you bring him? Where's he at? And they answered, never did a man speak like this man speak. They were amazed. Many people heard the teaching of Jesus and were amazed, and yet, just like the miracles, they they didn't obey, just like some of these scribes, Pharisees. The chief priests, pride, prejudice, worldliness, desire for sin, desire for position, wouldn't allow them to turn and to look at what the signs pointed to. To obey because of the teaching and because of the miracles. They had eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. Just like people today, it's not that they can't see the eyewitness testimony. Not that they cannot hear the amazing things that Jesus taught then, which are still amazing and authoritative today. It's that they have eyes, but they won't see, and ears that they won't hear. But they are nonetheless amazing. You think about the words of Jesus. How much time do you spend reading the Gospels? It is amazing. You know, statistics show that the words of Jesus are still amazing. They're read by more people, the Gospels are, read by more people, quoted by more authors, translated into more tongues, represented in more art, set to more music, more than any other book or book written by any man, in any country, in any land, any century. Still, the Bible is the number one seller. How is that? How can you explain it? You know, the historian by the name of Philip Schaff puts it very well. 
He says, This Jesus of Nazareth without money or arms conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, Napoleon without science or learning. He shed more light on things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life which were never spoken before or since. He produced effects which lie beyond reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished more themes for sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, songs of praise than a whole army of great men, ancient or in modern times. That's our Jesus. And he's still amazing. And it's amazing especially if you think about the fact that he grew up in ordinary circumstances, never wrote a book, never held an office, never owned a home, never went to college, never traveled more than 200 miles from his birthplace except when he was a baby and they took him to Egypt. Most turned against him and his message that he preached while he was here. In fact, they hated him so much they crucified him when he was 33 years old. His only belongings was the clothes on his back. In fact, he was even buried in a barred tomb. And yet he continues to have the greatest impact on the world. Isn't that amazing? It's completely amazing. 19 long centuries have come and gone, and yet Jesus is the centerpiece of mankind. Even time is dated by his birth. It's impossible to understand history, the progress of human civilization, without considering the influence of Jesus. And every generation in history has been affected by Jesus. Slaves, kings, Rich, poor, black, white, young, old, all have been attracted to Jesus. And so we ask, you know, how, how, can it, how can it be explained? You know, he didn't have money. He didn't have political power. He didn't have social prestige or, as we said, formal education. And that's usually the things that people say that are the keys to power and success in the world. But he had none of them. The only way to explain Jesus and his amazement is by the Bible. Only the Bible can explain Jesus' influence. And the, the Bible declares Jesus to be the Son of God and through his re resurrection Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 proves him to be the Son of God with power. It says. Jesus' words are the greatest words ever spoken backed by the greatest works that ever have been done. And people are attracted to it because he answers questions because he is God. He answers questions like who is God and does he love me and does he care for me? And what should I do to please him? And, and how should I treat others? And how does he look at my life? And how can I be forgiven? And where will I go when I die? Only Jesus answers those words, and that's the appeal that Jesus has then, and that is the appeal that he has today. Those who will recognize just how amazing he is. He is the Son of God. That's the only reasonable explanation. 
And so I ask you tonight to consider Jesus. If you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus, won't you look at what God has given us, furnished proof. John says these are things that were not done in a corner. He says these are things that I'm not telling you about concerning hearsay. He said, I saw it. We were there. We walked with him. We handled him. We heard it ourselves. And he said, I'm telling you these things because I want you to have the fellowship that I have, that we have as apostles, those who walk with him. He says, and that fellowship is fellowship with God. The only way to go to heaven is being fellowship with God. And if you're here tonight and you've not obeyed by repenting and being baptized, won't you come and be in fellowship with God and obey the amazing Jesus who said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Won't you come right now while we stand singing a song?